A New York kid from a middle-class family became a floor trader at the New York Stock Exchange. He was 20 years old, no Ivy League degree, no Wall Street connections, and yet by age 35, he was named the number one trader in the nation by Barron's. He's managed money for some of the biggest investment banks in America and made a nice fortune. Now, some 40 years later, he's sharing his wisdom from Wall Street with Main Street investors. But he's not just about investing. He also has strong feelings about capitalism, free markets, and the direction of this country. I know you're going to want to hear from him. This is an alpha investor, and he's in the economic war room. Welcome, Charles Mizrahi. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Hey, Charles, let's start with your story. How did you get from inexperienced kid to the top of Wall Street? Desire. <laughs> I, re I really, failure wasn't an option. Uh, I grew up in a very middle class neighborhood. We had taxi cab drivers on the block, and uh, my father was a warehouse worker. A friend across the street, his father was a was a teacher at school, and um, I always knew that I wanted to be on Wall Street. I saw that's where the money was. It was only forty minutes from my house, but it could have been on the other side of the uh, the moon. Uh, I had no contacts. I did have one contact. One of my uncles was a postman, and he moonlighted as a waiter in the New York Stock Exchange dining room. And I couldn't even get a job there. Wow, so, uh, that's your contact. Hey, you must love American capitalism and free market economics. Who doesn't? Well, I know a number of people who don't, but uh, they're not good people as far as I can tell. Yeah, if, if you don't, if, if capitalism has brought more people out of poverty than any other economic system. And number two, it's the only one that works and give incentive, it gives incentive to the individual uh, to to perform and to perform for their customer. And more importantly, it gives back the most to society. It, it rises all boats. Yeah, no, I agree. It's the best system. In fact, I've studied economics. That was my major in college. And when you see 4% of the world's population, the American population, producing about a quarter of the world's economic output, you know there's something special going on there. And, and it's, been, it's been great for America, lifting people out of poverty, and it's been great for you and, and for all your investors too, right? Well, yeah, you know, uh, the, the stock market is the, in my opinion, it's the greatest uh, wealth creator that this country has. Anybody, anybody can own a share, own a partnership with some of the greatest businesses in the world run by, run by excellent managers, all by buying one share. Uh, every morning you wake up, you have the opportunity to do that over 6,000 or so stocks, and there are a whole bunch of other stocks in the over-the-counter market. So um, you can be partners with these people, with these companies, with these businesses, and continue to grow with them by being just a passive investor. So I challenge anyone to find me a better system. No, it's a great system, and, and it got, does give opportunity to everyone, which is, you know, the cornerstone of what uh, America should be about. Uh, but we're facing some challenges here, and, and your name first came to me when Matthew mentioned it, because you've, you've written and talked about supply chain woes and the problems that we're seeing in the economy. Can you explain some of that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very simple. It's a simple problem, uh, and, uh, but the solution isn't. So the problem is, is that uh, when you have supply being limited, and we had it because of COVID, and we have it because of uh, something that no one ever expected. Uh, supply chain, they, factories stop creating more product. It's difficult to get them to the point where the demand is where the customer is. And you have increasing demand. People want more stuff, can't supply it. Prices go up. That's really it. And you want to know what supply chain problems are, just go to a Costco and try to buy uh, toilet paper or towel paper during uh, COVID, and now they're rationing it again. That's what happens when you have demand 
and supply can't meet it. Yeah, and our demand has actually increased as a result of COVID in some ways. You mentioned right. that. Can you explain that? Yeah, during uh, COVID, um, we never had a playbook for this, uh, for shutting down a country, shutting down business. Uh, so here you had demand uh, uh, stay the same and then start to increase while supply wasn't able to increase uh, because people were sick. They couldn't go to factories. They couldn't, especially in China and India, where we import a lot of our goods, they weren't able to make it. And uh, demand really shifted. Instead of people going to movie theaters and to go out to dinner or to buy new clothes, they were now taking that money, that demand, and putting it someplace else. So they were buying electronics and iPhones and a whole bunch of other things. So the economy was on pretty good footing going into COVID. And the reason we know this is the way it sprung out when the country started to open up. So uh, the country was getting right back on its feet uh, just till about the end of last year. Yeah, it was. And, and, and in fact, there are a lot of other things going on. But we have the opportunity, if we would act now, to, to really do good things. But I see these ships off of the port of uh, Los Angeles and Long Beach and, and worry about the global economy as it's changed because of COVID. Yeah, well, what happened was is the, uh, look, it takes X amount of days to manufacture goods, X amount of days to pack them up, finish them, ship them over, bring them to the shores to come to the the, uh, the shores of California and Los Angeles. And then you have to get the goods, bring them, bring them to a warehouse. All of this requires labor. It requires people. So even if you could get all those ships that are docked off the coast of California, all those ships could be unloaded tomorrow morning. Now go try to find truckers and people to move that stuff to warehouses and distribution centers, or what's called the last mile. There's a problem. We don't have enough workers doing it. Yeah, no, there's no question. And that's leading to inflation. And you've talked about inflation. What are your thoughts on that? Well, inflation is very simple. It's it's too much uh, supply. I'm sorry, too little um, um, supply faced with increasing demand. So uh, if you have 10 people now who want a glass of lemonade, they're willing to pay any amount of money for it. And the price goes up. If you have a whole bunch of people selling lemonade, you only have one or two buyers, the price has to go down. So now what we're seeing here is we're seeing increased uh, demand with limited supply. And when you have that, you have prices rising, especially after the Biden administration dumped trillions of dollars into the market, which just added fuel to the fire. Yeah, there's no question. A lot of people now want to say, well, let's move to a planned economy. Uh, let's not let the free markets work. But you wrote a great piece in the Washington Times. American capitalism is not the problem, it's the solution. Explain that. Well, yeah, you don't mess with American capitalism, it works. Uh, capitalism is a system that's based on servicing the needs of the customer. Because in a capitalist society, if you don't like to go into store A because the proprietor doesn't treat you well, or you don't like the prices, you can walk out and take your dollars with you to another store. So if you and I had a lemonade stand a block apart and I treated my customers well, and every time they said, well, the iced tea or the uh, lemonade doesn't taste good, or as I took it back and I did it with a smile and I gave more value than they paid, I'm gonna have a line outside my door. And if you treated them really rudely and you raised your prices or you weren't nice to them or, or you didn't take returns back, the customer is going to leave you and come to me. So capitalism is basically serving the customer to the best of the ability, because if you don't do that, the marketplace will find a way 
to fill that hole and service those customers that you're going to be losing. There is no question. We're going to need to take a break, but when we return, Charles, I want to talk to you about investing and your new book. Charles, we've been talking about the miracle of American capitalism. One of the problems, one of the criticisms that people point out is that it creates a wealth disparity. But you're working on solving that one investor at a time. And I love this book, uh, Wall Street Profits for Main Street Investors. In it, you're teaching people how to level the playing field. And I love the principles you've laid out. I was trained by Sir John Templeton, and I was once in the investment newsletter business myself. So I believe in your bottom-up approach. You know, we did long-term value and bottom-up. Great principles. Tell us about your principles in this book. Very simple. Before I tell you that, I just want to share with you, I wrote that book and I wanted to keep it very short. I wanted to keep it to about 100 pages so the average person could read it in one sitting. And the reason is there's so many business books and so many books on how to or to learn about things is around three to five pages of good information surrounded by 200 to 300 pages of fluff. So I said, people don't have time for that. And they just want to get right to the bottom line. So I took my approach, which is very simple, which is uh, which is time tested and proven by the greatest investors you mentioned, Sir John and uh, Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch and Seth Klarman and all of the, the greats. It's very simple. You buy a stock which represents a piece of a business. It's not a wiggle or jiggle on a chart. A stock is a piece of a business. And the way you invest in a business is the way you should buy a stock. You want to look at a company or a business in an industry that has a tailwind that's pushing it forward. For example, uh, you could be the greatest CEO, greatest investment in a newspaper. It's not going to do well. Uh, you could put Bill Gates in charge of uh, selling videotapes. It's not a good business. But when you find an industry which is pushing forward by a tailwind such as healthcare, technology, biotech, uh, any of those, uh, then you want to find a company run by an outstanding CEO, because at the end of the day, it's the CEO that makes the decisions and runs the company. And lastly, you want to buy it at an attractive price. And then once you do, just as Charlie Munger says, investing is simple. You buy great companies at attractive prices and then sit on your ass and let the company make the money for you. Yeah. That's it. Oh, it's great. The principles I picked up, don't gamble, don't get sucked in, look for viable businesses. Basically, you're telling people that there is a market of stocks, not just a stock market. And like Templeton, you don't tell people to time the market. Uh, you don't try and time the market as a whole, but you're looking for opportunities. Now, you mentioned in here, Four great filters from Warren Buffett. Uh, can you share what those are? Yeah, Warren Buffett has uh, that. That's the, that's the thing I've learned over the past four decades or so. Is uh, the approaches that work best are the ones that are simple. So my approach is very similar to Buffett's, and I learned from him, uh, which is basically you have a checklist. So you don't need to invest in six thousand or ten thousand companies. You just find a handful. And Buffett's uh, filter is very simple. He says. Do I understand the business? Which means, and he's a brilliant man, do I understand what the economics of the business are? Where this business is going to be three to five or 10 years out? And once it passes that filter, he then says, uh, is it run by a uh, manager who uh, has integrity and who has produced outstanding returns? And then the next thing he basically says, uh, um, does the company have a competitive advantage? Do they have an advantage 
over everyone else that makes it pretty hard to take market share away from them. And if it passes those three filters, can I buy it at an attractive price? And that's it. So that's why uh, I've learned that the great investors are able to say yes or no to any company or any stock in a matter of seconds just by asking three to four questions. Well, it's brilliant. It is simple, though. You even simplified it further. You've got alpha rules. Tell us what the alpha rules are. Yeah, alpha rules are just as simple. In fact, I just cut them down to make them a bit easier. Is Number one, I always want to find a company in, a, in an industry with a tailwind pushing it forward, run by an outstanding manager, CEO, and I want to buy it at an attractive price. Yeah. That's basically it. Yeah, explain alpha. The term, why did you pick that for your newsletter? Well, that was marketing. They like to play with those terms. You know, alpha, it's, it's a double entendre. Alpha in the animal kingdom is the number one. Uh, the number one male, the number one yeah, alpha dog. But I we picked it for a different reason. Alpha in uh, finance and geek world is the additional return that one brings to the table above the index return. So if the S&P is up 10% and uh, you happen to be up 13%, you have you bought 300 basis points or three percentage points of alpha. It's the extra you bring to the table. So we named it Alpha Investor because we want to give uh, uh, our subscribers that edge, that extra to not only uh, beat the market, but beat it handsomely. Yeah, well, the opening of your book, you've got a letter in here from somebody who's a subscriber, I believe, to your letter. And then you've got a number of other people that are you know, just commenting on how helpful it's been. Tell us about your investment newsletter. How's it work? Uh, so our, we have a, a newsletter. Uh, let, me, let me back up one second. Uh, um, my father was a warehouse manager, and uh, his idea of an investment back in the 70s was going from bank to bank and seeing which one gave a clock radio, which one gave a toaster or a blender. Back in the day, they used to they used to give you uh, a, a presence if you opened up accounts. Uh, he never invested in the stock market. He didn't know anything about the stock market. I never saw the Wall Street Journal in our house ever. And uh, I look back now and think, how life would have been so much different for my parents and for for uh, for for us, um, me and my brothers, if my father would have someone would have told him to invest in Berkshire Hathaway back in the 1960s or General Motors or IBM or or Walmart. But my father thought investing in a bank or a money market or a CD was was investing. So uh, I, I really was driven to create this newsletter to uh, help the average investor to Main Street investor. On a, put them on a level playing field with the best research that Wall Street has to offer. And uh, for a small amount, about 4 or $5 a month, uh, we produce an outstanding uh, a newsletter which analyzes a company so uh, anybody could have the understanding to what they're investing in, how the business operates, what price to pay, what we're looking for, what the drivers are, so you become a more informed investor. Yeah, it sounds like, uh, in a sense, you're giving education but, but you're also doing the homework for investors, but you're leaving it up to them to make those individual final decisions. Absolutely. I'm not a money manager. I don't manage. I just did that for 30 years. Uh, now I sleep better at night. Uh, so uh, um, uh, really, we present it. We give it to the subscriber. The subscriber has the choice to do whatever they want. We provide updates every week, uh, telling them uh, our thoughts about the market, about how to invest, and what to look for, what to avoid, and so on and so forth. Uh, so many of our subscribers said 10 minutes a month, they're able to do outstandingly well. And where can people learn more about this newsletter? Easiest thing is to go to my website. Uh, it's my name, charlesmizrahi.com. 
And uh, uh, we have there, we have the newsletter, we have the book, and we have a whole bunch of other great uh, pieces of information. Because my main drive uh, is, is to help as many uh, Main Street Americans uh, really just get a piece of American prosperity that's, that's all around us. Yeah, that's great. We're going to have to take another break. And when we come back, I want to talk big picture politics and see how it all relates. It used to be that Wall Street was all about making money and profit was everything. But somehow that's changed in the last few years. Now we have stakeholder capitalism versus shareholder capitalism. We have woke companies and woke investing. We're talking with Charles Mizrahi, and he's an ethical investor. He wants to be a good steward of the, of the things that God has given him. He wants to take care of the planet that God's blessed us with. But he still believes that American capitalism is not the problem, it's the solution. So let's talk about this push to fundamentally transform capitalism. What are your thoughts, Charles? It's going to end the disaster. I don't know why you take a system that is the envy of the world, that has people lining up at our borders, trying to get in. We put up gates and walls and have uh, border police to keep people uh, out of the country who shouldn't be there, as opposed to many other countries which have the exact same things, but they keep their people in. So we have people lining up to get into our country of all races, of all religions, of all colors, of all ethnicities. If it was such a bad place and capitalism didn't work, why are people coming on rowboat and selling their children and doing anything possible to come into our country? And the answer is because it works. And, and those who uh, crit critique it and criticize it, and, and uh, I, I, I really say it in a nice way, they don't get it. They don't understand it. And that's, that's sad for them because the path that they, are, they want us to go down, which this country will never do, uh, is a path that many other countries took and ended in total disaster for their nation and their people. No, there's no question. In fact, I looked at a stock chart the last 20 years of Europe versus the United States, the stock 600 versus the S&P 500. And you know, far and away, the American economy's done better and we've been less woke. But there is this big push. Uh, companies are pushing their woke political agenda. They're inter trying to interfere in state-run elections. They're trying to tell us to be less white or trying to tell us to be more this or more that. They've gotten woke. Uh, Charles, I want to introduce you. When you get a chance, look up Stop corporatetyranny.org. I think you'll like it. That's a coalition I'm a part of called the Back to Neutral Co Coalition. Tell them CEOs, get back to business. Stop trying to tell people how to think. Let the, let the political arena sort that stuff out and you focus on business. Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's going to go away on its own and I, t I want to tell you why. The, the same thing that they're trying to do is going to happen and backfire right to them because at the end of the day, cons the consumer is king. We can all choose, and we choose every day, and we vote with our dollars, uh, either to buy a company's product or service or not. And we have that choice. If you don't agree with a company's policy, or you don't agree with uh, the way a company's being run, or you don't believe with company's values, don't invest in it. No one's forcing you. No one has a gun to your head. I, I can choose in of 6,000 different companies to invest in. Uh, I don't choose companies that I feel go against my values. I, I don't want to pick a company, for example, that's a gambling organization. So what am I rooting for? More, more gamblers uh, to increase shareholder value? That doesn't help society. And I just can't get behind that. But that's my choice. And I'm not going to put my choice on anyone else. If, if you want to invest in those companies, that's your choice. But at the end of the day, it's the consumer that makes the final say and has the final say and makes the vote. Yeah, not only that, they, they have the final say.
um, in investing. But what happens when you are drinking Coca-Cola and then all of a sudden you feel that they've insulted you politically? It's not good business to insult half of America. It just doesn't make sense. Well, that's 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 the CEO's choice. That's the board's choice, right? So uh, you could have a Ben and Jerry say they're not selling uh, into uh, into the West Bank and uh, boycott Israel. Uh, they can do that, and consumers could stop using their product. Uh, I saw uh, pictures back uh, when uh, when when Coke was being more woke. How in Atlanta, Georgia, the the home of 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 Coca Cola that there was a refrigerator section of Pepsi, which was totally empty, and Coke products were still sitting on the shelf. So at the end of the day, uh, it all comes down to uh, providing shareholders with value. If companies put barriers in front of that because to swim with the political tide or to be uh, more um, more popular among certain elements of society, they're going to have to pay a price. And, and keep in mind one more thing, Evan, is that the marketplace will find will find a solution to that problem. You create new products, uh, uh, new services uh, out of that kind of adversity. So uh, I, I really caution CEOs to be extremely careful because they could be planting the seeds of their own demise. No, I think you're right. Free markets will solve the problem if the politicians will allow it. This is where I'm a little bit concerned, is you see the uh, mandate that's coming down from the NASDAQ, with the SEC's blessing, no less, that every board has to be composed with, and I've got no problem with women on boards. They're actually being added to boards every day. They make up 30% of the corporate boards already. And, And minorities are, of the new candidates, 47% are minorities. And I think that's all good. And that's happened from the free market because it does enhance companies' ability to understand their markets. But when they start to dictate or mandate and say, well, you have to have this number from this racial background or this number, I think they're interfering with the free market. And I think that's very dangerous. Well, they're not really doing their shareholders uh, any service because uh, members of the board, the board of directors, they represent the shareholder. And... uh, as uh, board of directors that I'd want to see are the most qualified. I don't care what their gender is and I don't care the color of their skin and I don't care that, that their religion. I care about one thing. Are they going to represent the shareholders or interests? And that's what should be the only deciding factor, not uh, their gender and not their skin color. Uh, do you want someone who uh, is the preferred gender or the preferred skin color yet has no experience in uh, corporate matters or basically caring about shareholders? I wouldn't. No, absolutely not. So this push, and we're seeing it in the political realm, a push to mandate that. We're seeing a push to socialist principles where it's stakeholder capitalism rather than shareholder capitalism. But I love what you stand up for. You're solving the problem that is causing people to look at socialism one investor at a time because you're helping people take advantage of and participate in great American capitalism rather than uh, stay on the sidelines and complain about it. So thank you, Charles, for all that you're doing. My pleasure. And my dog also wants to thank you because he feels the same way. Yeah, that's great. Well, be sure, go to charlesmizrahi.com, learn about his book, learn about alpha investing. It's a great book. It takes him back to the simple truths that I learned personally from Sir John Templeton. We've lost, so many Americans have lost the art of finding and investing in great businesses. So Wall Street profits for Main Street investors. We say all the time that you need advice. Charles Mizrahi delivers education in a form of advice through his books, newsletters, and podcasts. 
Many of you get advice from a client-facing financial professional. For you, it may be easier and more comfortable to have a stockbroker, a financial planner, or an insurance agent to work with. If you do, you need to make sure that that person is really working for you and not just for Wall Street. He, has, he, he or she has your interests at heart rather than pursuing a Wall Street and product and pushing it on you. So I suggest you learn from Charles and, and really see if that's a better path for you. Beyond that, does your advisor look behind the curtain to see if your investments are supporting or harming your values? If you're not sure, you should nominate your advisor to be trained by the NSIC Institute. Online training is launching at Liberty University now. We start with an advisor track, and we're going to add on-campus soon, just north of DFW, and we're going to add a client track that will help those who invest on their own with the help of people like Charles uh, to do better. So nominate your financial advisor at economicwarroom.com forward slash advisor. You can nominate yourself if you'd like. Subscribers can access our free weekly economic battle plans. And if in that, you'll get a recap of the show, an action plan for this episode, a link to uh, catch up with Charles. And that happens every episode. We offer it free. You can subscribe for a limited time at economicwarroom.com. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.